0: Preach at Redcliffe this morning, and then quickly drive here. But I had the added benefit of being able to watch it online, as I wasn't driving; someone else was driving me. Right, and uh, and I would able to watch it. So watch out, Jason, if you make a mistake, I'll know. (laughs) All right, so uh, (laughs) it was just uh, fantastic. I do want to thank you for wearing masks last week. It's good that we're all maskless today. By the way, if you do want to wear a mask, feel free. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with wearing a mask. But I'm just glad that we don't have to wear masks. This nose was not meant to have a mask. (laughs) Whoever designed masks, right, didn't think about people with a nose like this, right? So uh, Suzette Blackie made me a a, a mask for this nose. But to be honest, all it did is made me look like a greyhound, right? (laughs) That has been muzzled, right? So thank God... That there's no masks, right? I'm glad that I can just breathe, right? So, and everyone with a bigger nose said, no one has a big nose like mine. <laughs> All right, so uh, so I do want to thank you for that. It's just uh, been wonderful, your ability just to get behind what we're doing, to be flexible, to kind of just do what we're doing without complaining. I mean, we would love it. It's just saying, this is what we do, da, 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 but it changes And we really don't know what even might happen next week. So thank you for rolling with the punches, so to speak. It really, really just makes it easier. We will endeavour this week. So, Neil, listen, right? We will... Oh, gee. Right? Uh, We will endeavour this week not to fall off the stage. Right? No, we... uh, uh, we will endeavour this week to have like a bit of a sign-in system where you can come with your phones and then all your stuff is there, but you'll still be able to register and do those things. So there you go, Neil. There's a uh, We will endeavour. I'm not promising it, but we will endeavour. We will, we will. Right, so uh, fantastic. I just think it's a little bit easier than all these different ways in which we're doing it now. All right, let me pray. Father, I ask that you would take the words that I'm about to say. And you communicate what you want to say by your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you are dynamic, that you send us the Holy Spirit to help us to teach us, oh Lord. So Father, though even though I'm a vessel, I pray that you would use it to make it dynamic, oh God. And Father, that you would speak to people what you're wanting to say. Let them hear your message, not just mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, my title sounds very authoritative, sounds very teachy, and it's commands, statutes, and rules. It sounds a little bit like you're doing a lecture at the Queensland University and your law degree. And uh, but I promise you, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be kind, right? And I'm not going to give you an exam, an exam at the end of it. So. This message came as I was just doing my devotions one morning and I was reading Nehemiah. And as I was reading, I had an interesting thought about what it was that I had just read. It made me stop my reading and start thinking. And I want to tell you that's probably the best way to read your Bible, especially devotionally, where you stop and think about what it is that it said and why it said it, and the, and the kind of environment in which it was said, and who it was said to, and you actually start to think about what it is that you've actually read, instead of just kind of skimming over it quickly. So this was the verse that I read. It's from Nehemiah 1, and it's verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now, to be honest, if I was, and I've read Nehemiah many times, right? If I was as normally reading, I would read over that with a minimum of fuss, with a minimum of kind of thought, and just summarise that they didn't do what God asked. Right? And to be honest, that's probably correct. That's what it's saying. Summarily. They didn't do what God asked them to do. And so you just keep on reading. But that's where I stopped. I thought to myself, why did God make the, take the time to put it into three categories? Commands, statutes, and rules. Why is there a difference? Aren't they kind of like all the same? Why would he make a difference? And so I went to Blue Letter Bible, probably the best app on the whole internet. And you can go and look at each verse and you can look at it in the original language and you can look at what it was. See, the Hebrew is a picture language. It's very difficult to be able to explain perfectly what it's saying because it's said in pictures. And how I describe a picture is different to how Nina would. And, and, and so what it is, it's a, it's a picture language. So you have a look at the original word to sit down and say what it was, what was what the original person thinking? Why are there three things spoken of here? Commandments, statutes, and rules. So let's have a look. I'll teach you some Hebrew this morning. The word commandments is the Hebrew word mitzvah. Everyone say mitzvah. mitzvah. Very good. It means a commandment of God or of man. The word statutes, the Hebrew word is the word Chok, everyone say chok. Chok, Chok. right? And it means a prescribed task. Then the word for rules is the Hebrew word mishpat. Everyone say mishpat. Mishpat. Which means a process or a procedure, right? So think about that. You've now learned some Hebrew. I've been an effective teacher and that. So Nehemiah in one scripture details exactly how Israel had found itself in bondage and captivity. So God had his promised people. They rebelled. They didn't do things right. And eventually they get taken away in captivity. There was a the tribe of Judah. There was a the tribe of Israel. They're taken away by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and they're in captivity. They're subject and subjugated by another ruling uh, people and Nehemiah goes back a few years later, I think it's 70 years later or so, and starts to rebuild Jerusalem again. And he's saying, basically, the reason we got into captivity, the reason that we were bound, the reason we found ourselves in bondage, is that we didn't follow God's commandments We didn't follow his statutes and we didn't follow his rules. We didn't do what he asked. We didn't follow the tasks that he wanted us to do and we didn't live by the processes and and procedures that he asked us to live by. And because of that, we are now in bondage. They had corrupted God's commands, God's tasks and God's processes that he had given Moses. You know, to be successful... There's commands we need to heed, tasks we need to perform, and processes that we need to follow. And doing things your own way will result in things not working out the way that they should or God had promised. Nothing just happens. I wanna tell you that nothing just happens. In the kingdom of God, there are commands, there are tasks, there are processes, and will result in your success And corrupting them will result in consequences. Israel had flouted God's commands. They'd refused to value the God-given task and they disobeyed the processes that God had set into place. And from the scripture, we see that they acted corruptly. So they corrupted what it is that they were supposed to do. So that means that they kind of had a scant regard They kind of had a, kind of, it's all right, but I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to corrupt the original plan. I'm going to corrupt the way in which it was intended. God's success for your life is determined to your obedience to the kingdom of God's commandments, tasks, and processes. And this is mirrored in life itself, whether you're baking a cake, keeping your marriage vibrant, wanting to get ahead in your workplace, you'll end up successful if you follow the right commands, right tasks, and the right processes, and neglecting them or corrupting them will end you in trouble. For example, look at your job. Think about your job. There are commands. Turn up on time. Right? You've got to start at nine, be there 10 to nine. Right? Be there on time. There are tasks that you're given to perform. Right, And there are processes, processes like working hard, providing solutions, which result in you getting blessed. But if you corrupt those, all of a sudden you find yourself in trouble. If you turn up when it suits you, if you do the job that you think you should do rather than what the boss thinks that you should do, if you're slack or argumentative or gossipy, then you're going to end up in trouble. You know, like even if your workplace goes in trouble and it gets in a bad place, if you're a good worker, you're the last to go. You're a bad worker, you're the first to go, right? So it just ends up in blessing for you if you follow the commands, do the tasks and follow the uh, processes. Now, we're talking about the commands, statutes and rules of Moses' time. That's what this scripture refers to. So if you think about that, let's have a look at it, right? You've got the Ten Commandments, right? They are the commands. They are the commands given by God to Moses on the mountain. So they disregarded those. So I actually considered going through each one of those and looking at how that affect our lives today, but then we'd still be here at three o'clock. And one day I might do a sermon on those because I still believe that they hold sway today And can teach us a lesson, but we are not cut off from God by breaking a commandment because of what Jesus did. But I do believe that there is a natural consequence for breaking the commandment, right? So I could murder someone, right? God will forgive me, but I'm going to jail. And you know what? That's good. Right? So you understand? There is a consequence. I'm not preaching to you next week if I murder Che. Right? Which is fair enough. Right? Don't worry, Che. Do you want to drink some of this? No. uh. So there's always a natural consequence for breaking the commandment, even the Sabbath. The Bible says it's for us. If you have a rest day, right, honestly, you're going to pay for it in the end. But that's another sermon. All right. Statutes in Moses' time were pretty much about the priestly tasks. They were the, like the how to's of the Jewish rituals. This is what you do with incense. This is how you do an offering. This is how you, you deal with a feast. And, and they, they were the statutes. They were the hows and the whys of the Jewish faith. And then the rules in Moses' time, which are spoken about in Exodus 21, were pretty much how you deal with people and actually had a lot to do with how you dealt with slaves and how you dealt with women, right? And uh, if you read them now, it's like, whoa, baby, uh, that's pretty bad. But if you read them back then from this side, you're actually realizing that they're giving women and slaves a whole lot of rights and were actually very helpful to them. We look at it from 2021 I go, that's archaic, that's t- barbaric, that's terrible. But in the time it was written, it was actually freedom. It was actually the person who actually stood up for women's rights and slaves' rights and, and those things. So they were Moses's time and pretty much we don't have to so much worry about them other than knowing that they are principles worth following and they're gonna help you at different times. So let me explain a little bit about how I see God's laws, God's things that he says, the things that he decrees, right? So the best way I can sit there and say is like this, right? You have to understand that God is good, right? If you don't have that understanding, you'll see all of God's laws and God's judgments and statutes and processes. You'll see them, As onerous. You'll see them as things to subjugate you. But when you see that God is good, we have to see that all of those things are given to us to actually help us. They're there for our good. God knows everything, and so he says, This is what's right, this isn't what's right. God knows every person. He knows every circumstances. He knows yesterday from tomorrow and tomorrow from yesterday. He knows everything. He knows all of history. He knows what's gonna happen. He knows every fact. There is not one bit of knowledge. Imagine, think about that. God never has a new thought because He knows everything, right? He never has a new thought. There's not anything that He doesn't know. And so He decides this is how we should live. So he says, don't lie. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Right? He says, he says those things. So what we as humans do, we look at this one thing and it's like putting his glass on the edge of this table. All, right? All you OCD people are freaking out right now. <laughs> now, what the world does, they go, What's wrong with sex outside of marriage? Look, look at that, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with lying. Sometimes you need to lie just to get ahead and you know, da, 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 da. But we understand that the slightest little bump, and I won't bump because we'll go everywhere, the slightest little bump, it falls off, right? It falls off. So God sits there and he makes his laws and he makes his statutes and rules and processes and tasks. God does that because he knows that's how things work. We can look at the one time and say, hey, that, that's fine, right? But we know we're just one little, yeah. right? This guy was a good catch, wasn't it? <laughs> right? That's, that's, good, that's what happens, yeah. right? And he says, if you want your life to work, yeah, it's good. if you want your life to be a success, follow these commands, follow these statutes and, or follow these tasks and follow these processes. So let's have a look at a new covenant. Right, well, we've seen what commands and statutes and rules are in Moses' time. Let's have a look at what they are in the New Covenant, because the Bible tells us that those things are just a shadow. So right now, there's a shadow behind me from these lights. I don't like this side shadow. I want the front shadow. The the front shadow is much better than the side shadow. Right. So, um, but that is not me. It's. It looks like me. It's got all the features that I have. Look at that. That's a big shadow there, right? Like, you know, it's got that, but it's not me. This is me. So the laws and the statutes and the things of the Old Covenant, they're, they're, they're real. There's some substance to it, but it's a shadow of what the real thing is. So let's have a look at what the New Testament says about these things, right? So... Here we go. Commands. What are God's commands to us right now in 2021? They aren't Moses' commands, statutes or rules. So what are they? Let's have a look. Well, the commands is easy. Jesus is just direct. He just says it. Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Wouldn't that be horrible, just having a lawyer follow you around? (laughs) Right? Like, oh my goodness, imagine someone just went through everything I said today. Oh. All right, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this, or is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's the commands that we have to follow right now. It's pretty simple. Love God, love people. Everything depends on that. And I love this. It's simple. It's concise. It's not a riddle. It's not complicated. You don't have to be intelligent, educated, popular, connected. It doesn't give anyone any advantage over anyone else. It's the ultimate, ultimate statement of equality. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Right? And, and I love that. And prom- I promise you, to the extent that you follow that, love God, love people will be to the extent that your life is blessed. And to the extent that you don't follow that will be to the extent that your life gets into trouble. But I want to tell you, it is a package. Love God love people. It's like interlocking hands. It doesn't work, just one. Because people can love God but they're just not very nice to people. I want to tell you, go on a internet Christian blog for five minutes. Right? About anything. Right? About anything. Right? Like literally within five minutes, you will see some of the most hurtful things said. Some of the most hateful things said. Right? Some of the most Horrible things said, right? Over the smallest bit of kind of basically, you know, just a difference of opinion. Someone says it's this and someone else says it's that. And unfortunately, that's how much of our society views the church. Wow. You're just here telling us off. You're just here telling us what we're doing wrong. You're just here and they don't see. They, they see we might love God, but they don't think we love people. Then you've got the other people. They, they love people, and some of the organizations that stand strongest for the rights of people and, and helping people and, and doing things actually hate God and actually have a bias against the church, and if anything, would love to see the church actually decimated, right? So they love people, and they get that right, but they don't get that right. Then you've got a lot of Christians who get that right, but they don't get this right. It's love God and love people, and it's a hand in God. It's a interlocking hands. It's interlocking hands. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. And, and what I've seen over 38 years is that the people who have got that right. I love God and I love people. They are the ones who have the ultimate success. They may have hell thrown at them in their lives, but in their hearts they've got this contentment. Right? See, success isn't about having a bigger car, nicer house, more money in the bank. It's about having a contentment of spirit and of heart, knowing that you're in the will of God and that you have the pleasure of God and God smiling upon you. Right? And let me tell you, when you love God and love people, it doesn't matter what happens outside because the inside is actually right. So that's command. Things pretty easy. Love God, love people. Written in red, Jesus said it can't argue with it. All right, unless you're on an internet blog. right, so the statutes or tasks of the new covenant are many. There's different things that we're asked to do. I'll just talk about a couple of them. So this is not an exhaustive list, right? This is just some of the things that I would say. Things like communion. Jesus established communion. Now, it's not a ritual to make God love you more and somehow if you did something wrong this week or you got something against someone that you can't take communion and say, no, it's bringing Jesus into whatever it is that's going through. That's why Nina and myself, when we visit you and you're going through a tough time, maybe of health or whatever, we'll sit there and say, have communion every day. Because what it is, is bringing the presence of Jesus. Communion was established before Jesus went to the cross, right? And it's talking about the things that Jesus did in life. Yes, it's about forgiveness. Yes, it's about the blood of Christ. Yes, it is all those things. But it's also about what Jesus did right here on this earth. And he healed the sick and he he cast demons out of people and he spoke and taught and did all these things. You're bringing Jesus into your life every time. Or, Or I focus on Jesus into your circumstances every time. You take communion. That is another thing the Bible tells us. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves. That's a task. So the Bible wants us to gather. The Greek word for uh, church is ecclesia. Come out of your homes and gather together in public. That's what we're doing today. Online church will always be great. We'll continue doing online church but to be better is to be in the house of God where you can exhort one another to love and good works. That's what the church is there for. And so therefore, at some stage, we're all gonna watch online church. I watched it last week, right? But what happens is that like, we need to be in the house of God. That's what God says, especially the Bible says, as you see the day approaching. Then there's things like daily prayer. Give us our daily bread. And what it is, every day I just come before God, have Him in my life. Just I walk with Him. He's with me. Emmanuel, God with us, but I spend time with Him. Just as my relationship with Nina grows because I spend time with her every day, so spending time with Jesus. Now, it's not always, come on, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. It's just like spending time with God every day, just spending time with God. And the last one is the Bible. Bible study. 1 Peter 2, I'll read a scripture to you. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word of God, that you may grow thereby. You want to grow? Desire the Word of God. It's in the Word of God that the answers are. It's in the Word of God that comfort comes. It's in the Word of God that guidance is. It's in the Word of God that all sorts of the manner of God is shown. And you'll grow thereby. Now, it doesn't say be a babe in Christ. It says desire the Word of God as a babe desires milk. And we've seen that pitiful cry that a little baby makes in those... First few months is that. (laughs) They have this little pitiful cry. They, They just want. And then when they have that milk, they just grow. And what I love about that, it's not saying be a baby in Christ. I've been a Christian for 38 years. But if I desire, and I've grown hopefully a little bit in that time, right? Hopefully, right? Hopefully, I can still desire the Word of God. That's going to help me grow again. So it's about your desire in seeking after the things of God and the things of the Word of God. So they're just a few of the statutes. As I said, there's many other things. Now, there are the rules or God's processes in the new covenant. Now, I'm going to talk about two of them. Both of them you're not going to like. All right, I'll just tell you that right now, especially the second one. Right, so if anyone's got stones, please put them away. All right, but they do say if you shoot an arrow into a herd of pigs, the one that squeals is the one that got hit. All right, so, so I'm just going to allow two of them. Mark 11 verse 25. You know, it's about forgiveness. There's over 20 verses that I could have chosen that speak clearly this very principle, but I chose this one for a reason. I'll explain to you in a moment. Mark 11:25. 25. And whenever you stand praying, I want you to see that, stand praying. Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. It is a big deal. Yeah. Unforgiveness is a big deal. To be honest, this is one of the more scarier verses in the whole Bible. If you don't forgive someone, God's not going to forgive you. Whoa. So we need to forgive. Lack of forgiveness hurts you. Matthew 18, another passage, talks about the unforgiving servant. You know, he's forgiven a lot. Finds someone else who's, who owes him as much less, won't let him off, even though he's been let off a lot. God speaks about that and he says it finishes off. because it's the only place Jesus talks about, in a sense, demons tormenting people. And he goes, so my Father will hand you over to the tormentors. See, unforgiveness torments you. It's there all the time. It's there all the time. It's there all the time. The Bible way of dealing with that, because unforgiveness comes. I don't care what, who you are, how godly you are. You can pray 23 hours a day and spend the other hour reading the word. I don't care. But bad things are going to happen to you. Someone is going to let you down. Someone is going to hurt you. Something unfair is going to happen to you. It's because you're breathing. It's because we are in failed humanity, right? So, So what happens is that like negative things happen, but the way to deal with that is to pray for your enemy. To pray for your enemy. Pray for those, the Bible says, who spitefully use you. Someone who went out of their way to hurt you. It wasn't by accident. wasn't by, you know, kind of a, a mistake. They went out and hurt you. They decided how to hurt you, and they hurt you. And the Bible tells you, pray for that person. Let forgiveness, it's the only way to deal with a tormention. Even in the Our Father Prayer, which is our daily bread designed to speak daily to God, Right, The Bible says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgo those who trespass against us. Yeah. And I just think it's a fantastic way to go to bed. Yeah. Just at night, say, God, forgive me for the things that I did wrong today. The times temptation overwhelmed me but and for, I forgive those who hurt me. Yeah. Who hurt me. Now back to the scripture. That's what, see, what happens is that God is dealing with you. One of the things I've noticed is that someone who holds on to unforgiveness has a terrible personal prayer life. Think about that, right? They have a terrible personal life. They can pray in public. They can come to the church prayer meeting, walk up and down, do all that. They can pray for a task. You can sit there and tell them to pray for a task. But in that personal time with God, they always struggle. And the reason is, is that whenever you stand before God praying, the Holy Spirit will come and tell you about someone that you've got an issue with. And I guarantee you, we all who spend personal time of prayer have seen that. You go in one minute, oh yeah, he did that to me. Oh, and all of a sudden you start to think, I should have said this, and next time I'm gonna say that, and she did it again. And it's all there. And God says, go sort it out. Now, it doesn't mean that you stop praying and that, but you make a decision. I'm gonna pray for this person. I'm going to forgive this person. Yeah. I'm going to set it right. Sometimes it may need and you to go do some action afterwards. But generally, it's just setting it right with God. I pray for that person. I care for that person. I love that person. I'll do that. And what happens is that then you can go on with your prayer. But God won't leave you alone. And so if you will refuse to do that, then you can't go on with your prayer. So then you don't pray because every time you do pray, you end up having to deal with this, right? And then what happens is that there'll be certain circumstances that come to you where it's the same person every time. Literally every time you pray, this person comes to your mind. Yeah, but I forgave him the last six days in a row. and why are you Because it's still doing something in your spirit. That's why it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing, getting yourself right. And so you sit down and forgive him again, and forgive him again. And then I notice that sometimes I'll be praying and there was probably the, the, there was one person who really did me wrong. And I spent many times trying to sort out and pray and pray through that, forgive them you know, each day, just doing those things. And then I haven't even seen this person for like 10, 12, 15 years, whatever it is, right? And, like, and every now and again, that person will still come to my mind when I start praying. I think I've forgiven them a thousand times. Come on, God, what are you talking about? Right? But what happens is that God's showing me that I'm starting to build some attitudes in my life. I'm starting to build an attitude of feeling a victim. I'm starting to build an attitude of it's not fair. I'm starting to build an attitude of like, I, it, 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 this is too big, this is too overwhelming, I, I, I can't get out of this. And God shows me that that's the type of attitude because that's how I felt when that negative thing happened to me and what this person did. And so God uses that to show me Hey, no, no, come on, trust me. Start to put my faith. Remember the words I've spoken into your life. Remember the promises that I've given. And I start to pray for that person and I overcome. See, God, use those times of personal prayer to deal with you. See, when God told us to pray, it's not because he's some insecure God. It's because he actually wants to help us. All right, next one. Everyone put your seatbelts on. I'm just going to read the scripture. All right. You ready? Everyone. Everyone say everyone. 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 Everyone Everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honour you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. I'd like to tell you some of our American friends need to read that scripture right now. Who you vote for should never affect who you pray for, right? Remember, Paul wrote this. See, we can sit there and say, but what about the authority? He's a bad person. He's this and that. Think about who was in authority when Paul wrote this scripture, right? It was Caesar. Caesar, a man who said, I'm God. Worship me as a God. I'm going to kill you if you don't worship me as a God, right? And as for you Christians, I'm killing you anyway. I'm going to live in debauchery. I'm going to live in constant violence. I'm going to live mad and crazy and weird, and I'm going to dominate the earth. Now, I'm fairly certain that no one in a Western democracy right now is living like that, right? And in maybe some other things, there would be very few people around the world in history who have been as bad as Caesar was in that time. Yet, what does the Bible say? Everyone. Right, everyone. See, now, I could literally, I do a two-hour lecture on authority. This is like my zone, right? But uh, I'm not going to go do that today. So I'm going to just read it because otherwise I'll get distracted. Right? Over the years, more than any other area that I've seen, people miss what it is that God had for their lives because their inability to listen to authority. They didn't want to submit to authority, and it's not a popular message in Western society that values the individual rights, right? And where the rebel is king. Right? We don't like this message. It's not a popular message, but authorities are God's servants. They're doing something from God, and God uses them to get to you. Right, So the attitudes that you have, the issues that they bring out are things that God is wanting to deal with in your life. They're wanting to get rid of the muck. And so what happens is that God uses them to mould you, to deal with the stuff in you that isn't right. That's how they work for our good. You will never have issues with your authority if you really, Very much emphasis on the word really. If you really believe that God is the ultimate authority. If you have an issue with an authority, it tells me that someplace, somewhere, you don't really believe that God is in control and that authority is in control. So in submitting to authority, you're actually saying, I believe that God is in control, right? And that's the key. And so that's what God is always using our authority to show us that He is in control. Now, I could tell you many things, many things in the Bible, but it's not for now. There are many, there's so many different processes that the Word of God speaks to us about. Talks about being honest, that's a great process. Talks about working hard, another great process. Talks about living generously, about being thankful, about not comparing, about not coveting, and many more. That will result in a life of blessing, but corrupted will end up you living a life of bondage. And I'm going to finish with this scripture because I love what it says about Jesus, and maybe the band could come. And this scripture is going to seem at odds with everything else that I've just spoken about. John 6, verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's a great question. What do you do to do the works of God? Someone, you know, if I was with Jesus, I thought that would have been a good question. What do you want me to do, God? What are the works of God? And Jesus is really, really smart. This is the answer. He said, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. You know, I, I preach this morning about the commands, the statutes, and the rules. But when Jesus asked, what are the works of God? What are the commands, statutes, and rules? He doesn't make a list. He doesn't give them a list of commands, statutes, and rules. He just says, believe in me. Believe in Jesus is what I'm going to tell you today. See, Jesus is smart. He knows that if He were to put anything there, we would make that an idol. If He were to sit there and say, you should pray, we would make prayer everything. And that's all we would do at the the loss of everything else. If He said it's witnessing, telling people about me, we would make it all about that. If He said it's about attending church, we would make it all about that. If he came, it's, it's about sexual laws. We would make it all about that because that's what humans do. That's what religion is. It's about building a little idol about what it is that you think is right and everyone else is wrong. It excludes people. That's what happens. If he had said anything there, we would have made it the thing. He would have, we, It would have just been, we would have said, I don't have to do any of that because Jesus said this. And you're bad because you're not doing this, but I'm good. Right? You want to be good? Come into my club and start doing this. And now you're going to be accepted. And that's what religion is. And that's one of the things I've noticed over the years. Something that excludes is always man-made. Something that puts you in over here, the bad ones, and me as the good ones because I'm doing this, That's religion. That's man-made. And Jesus just brings it down to these words. Believe in the one that the Father has sent. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus. And that's what it's about. So what happens is that there are commands, there are statutes, there are rules that are going to see you live a successful life. But they're not the things that are going to make you reject from God. Right? God will be with you because He sent His Son. Jesus says, I'll believe in Jesus. Now, the word believe there, it's the it's it's uh, Hebrew word, uh, no, it's a Greek word, pistis, which means to actually put your weight in. It, it's to sit down in. If I were to get a chair, I put my weight into that chair and I see that I'm able to sit down in that chair. I can It takes my weight. These days, I have to look at the chair a bit uh, more than other days, right? But, uh, right, like... I want to see that it takes my weight. And that's what being a Christian is. That's what having faith is. It's not about whether you follow the commands, the rules, the statutes. They're there for your success. They're there for your good. They're there to help you. They're there to help you have a great life. But it's not about whether you're in heaven or not. It's about do you believe in Jesus? Do you put your weight into Jesus? And I just want to, Right now, just ask and give everyone here an opportunity if you don't believe in Jesus. I'm not saying whether you go to church or not. I'm saying, have you put your weight into the things of the word? Have you put your weight into Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? And why every eye is closed and every head is bowed. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to put your weight, to put your trust into Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, can you just raise your hand? You're not a Christian in this place this morning. Can you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Anyone at all, as I just quickly look over. As I just quickly look over. Let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you, O Lord, for Jesus. It's believing in Jesus, not the doing of works that are gonna actually ever get us to love you more, or to make you love us, or the lack of work's going to make you love us less. Father, those things are there for our success, to benefit us, to bless us, oh God. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, oh Lord, that, that where we've kind of just let down some of those commands, where we could be better, oh Lord, in loving you, in loving people, oh God. Father, I pray, just convict our hearts right now in the name of Jesus. This week, oh God, if we come across someone who's unlovely, if we come across someone who, who, who maybe doesn't deserve our kindness, or who doesn't deserve some regard on our behalf, that there'll still be love. Father, where there'll be a sense of, I'm putting you first, Lord. Father, there needs to be that change to do that in our hearts, oh Lord. Father, there's some of those areas of tasks that are just there for us. They're not making you feel better, God. They're not about you, oh Lord. Father, they're about, oh God. Father, about us. Father, those things are prayer, Bible study, communion, the gathering together, oh Lord. Father, acts of service. Those different things, oh God. Father, Lord, This, if there needs to be a Work in our hearts, I pray in the name of Jesus. Father, do that, oh God. And Father, in some of the processes, oh God, where we've let down the process, we're trying to do it a quicker way, a better way, a smarter way, our way, not your way, oh God. Father, we repent of that and we decide we're going to start to do it your way, oh God. The way in which you've said, the way in which you declared, oh God. We look at your judgments, oh God. We declare them to be right. We declare them, Father, be the things that are going to see us to success, oh God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we as a leadership and as a church, Father, would follow your commands, Father, your statutes and your rules. We would do what you've asked us to do. Father, we do the tasks you want us to do. And that, Father, we would follow the processes and the procedures. That you've set into place. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.